It's uh, shortly following the 11 o'clock news. That means time for left, right, and center. With uh, we got a regular team assembled again today. Bob Metz. Oh, yeah, good morning. And Josh Lemmer. Morning. Uh, guys, I wonder if I can... Uh, take advantage of your presence here to, to uh, talk a little bit about something we covered yesterday on, on uh, Talk of the Town, but I have an ongoing interest in this, and I'm curious to know from your perspectives, too, what you make of this. It's the, uh, the hospital funding that Londoners are being asked to consider, London Council is being asked to consider. $15 million over five years, $3 million a year. The Ivy School of Business put together a comprehensive, uh, they say, and it appears to me to be a pretty comprehensive business plan. Um, and as I said yesterday, if you, if you want a business plan and you've got one done by two profs at the Ivy School of Business, it's probably a pretty good business plan. Now, you, may, you may take issue with the whole idea of a business plan and the criteria they use. And the only point I'm trying to make is that you know, it wasn't done uh, in, in a garbage can somewhere. These are serious guys who did a serious piece of work. And according to their conclusions, uh, this is a big time plus for the city of London. Now, the city is being asked to contribute as I say, $15 million. The capital investment program for the London Hospital's total is $330 million over five years. Um, the province is going to kick in a ton of dough, they expect, and they're also looking for an additional, and in, 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 on top of the 15 from the from the city, an additional 105 from, quote, the community. We are talking a ton of money from your pocket and my pocket, uh, and, and the businesses and the industries and the, all these people who are going to, it is expected, contribute to that. $120 million of what essentially are, even, even given the, the $15 million from the city, essentially private funds as opposed to the traditional provincial funding model. I'm just curious to know what you guys think of that. We had a lively discussion yesterday. Most people saying, well, let's give them the $15 million, even though we're not happy with the way it's being done. But it does seem like a small amount to kick in for such a large return. But some other people, and yesterday afternoon I, I was talking to a fellow about it too, and he said it's really, really, really not the point. The point is, how did we get to a point where the province is kicking in some, we're kicking in some, province is still calling all the shots. He said, if we're going to pay for it, why aren't we controlling it? And Jeff, I'd, I'd go to you first. What, what do you make of this overall? Does this seem like a, a, a reasonable approach to public health care funding? Well, I think it's, it's sort of consistent with um, what we've seen over the last uh, four years that this provincial government has sort of been back and forth that uh, half the time they'll tell you that centralized power in Toronto is the best thing and that's what they did with the school boards where they said we're taking away the power to tax and we're going to all control it all out of Toronto and they seem to sort of want to do that with health care but they don't want to pay for it um, now sort of within the last couple of months suddenly this has become their big mantra that after they've been cutting and cutting and cutting and health care was bloated and nurses are going to be as obsolete as hula hoops and all that stuff they've suddenly read their polls and noticed that everybody's sort of freaking out because we're suddenly having no emergency rooms available in London and so on as a result of the cuts. So they're sort of putting it back in, but this government is extremely control uh, conscious. It likes to be in control of what it's doing. So what we're seeing is that, uh, and like most areas, what they've said is, we'll kick in some, but we expect other people to kick in as well, whether it's downloading from municipalities or private fundraising. One of the things that, that struck me the other day, I was walking along King Street last week, and I noticed that there was a hot dog fundraiser. People were selling hot dogs for London Health Science Center. And I thought, boy, it's, it's come down to this, you know, now that we're selling hot dogs for 50 cents each or whatever to fund our hospital. Hospitals, and how has it come to that? To me, that just seems chaotic. Well, at the same time, isn't it obvious? 
But at the same time, <laughs> well, before Bob responds, same time, it should be noted that while they may be raising uh, funds at 50 cents at a time selling hot dogs, they are also blastering or, or, or covering the airwaves, papering the air... That's the wrong metaphor. They're uh, filling the airwaves with, uh, with very slick, highly produced ads, not asking for anything, simply reminding us that they're here. So they're not, they're not counting their pennies to pay the next bill. Well, I wondered about that, too. I heard an ad yesterday for the, for the London Health Science Center, and I thought, usually you advertise if you're in competition. You know, you're trying to compete with somebody else. And in the States now, we've seen over the last decade or so, a lot of uh, advertising out of hospitals, you know, come to us for yeah, your but emergency they, but, but they are in competition. They're in competition for that, for that charitable dollar. Oh, okay. I never really thought about that. One of the things that occurred to me, this sort of raises another thing with the sort of dream of a lifetime lotteries and all the all the attention that's been put into uh, fundraising by lotteries and things over the last few years and all the energy that all kinds of volunteers have put into that and all the money that's gone to all the advertising and all that stuff that's really all sort of lost money. I thought it might be simpler rather than having a lottery for raising part of the money and taxes for raising part of the money, you should simply incorporate the lottery into the taxation system and about every 10,000th taxpayer would get a million dollars back or something. It'd be a lot simpler. Robert? Jim, you talked about a business plan for this uh, $3 million a year budgeted thing. Mm -hmm. um, what's the business plan? It sounds to me like a tax plan. What happens if they don't get their $3 million a year? If they don't get the $3 million, uh, the provincial government has um, indicated that they will not be providing the extent of the funding that they have uh, not promised but have, have put forward. Uh, if London does not meet its side of the bargain, that the province won't either, and the ultimate result will be a reduction uh, in hospital services in London. I'm going to quote here. It says, an unsuccessful hospital capital investment program could result in London suffering up to a 10% reduction of hospital service. So they're basically saying, cough up or we'll go away or the service will be worse. Well, the province you know, is saying that, yes. Uh, so, so basically we're sitting, we're, we've come full circle again. You know, it's coming down back to the point where the individual is going to have to pay for his own health care and pay all the taxes to pay for all the health care of individuals over the past 30 years. Well, in a sense, that's what this, if you go, it seems to me, if you go to the community and say we need $120 million to keep your hospital going, that's exactly what you're doing. That's two-tiered health care, isn't it? If you can no, you're still going to government, and you're still you're still dealing with with involuntary spending, and you're putting it on the most in, inappropriate place possible on the on the private homes of people, and on their businesses, and they've got enough burdens to carry without having to have this responsibility foisted on them. If this goes through, it will not be the last time. We'll be back here four or five years from now looking for. $80 million next time. But isn't it, uh, well, I want to come back to what I said about two-tiered, because it is two-tiered in reverse. What we're saying to the whole community is if you don't cough up the dough, you're going to pay at the end. You're, you know, you're going to be sorry. The only people in the community who can afford to cough up the dough are the upper-income people. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're just scraping by, you're probably not going to be able to donate a lot to this. So here you've got the, the people who do have a few bucks are being, you know, it's two-tiered. People who don't have anything, well, you don't have to contribute anything because we're going to make sure the hospitals are still there. But you people with a couple of bucks, if you don't come up with the dough, the hospitals may not be there. So you've got to pay not only for yourselves, but for everybody else, too. I mean, that's well, a, it's classic two-tiered system. if you're talking about people with money, you're talking about people with income, not necessarily property owners, some of who have, don't have the increased well, yes. income. Yeah. So... It's not even that. It's, it's you're taking it out of the value of somebody's property. You, know, you, know, you, you cannot cut taxes and cut services without, on the other side of the equation, increasing the choice of people, which means giving other alternative ways of funding 
for hospitals, including user fees for people who can afford it, including private health insurance to allow them to compete and offer services that can th that can cover a but you percentage can't, but of But Bob, you know, you, you can't go, you can't go to user fees. Why is that? Because ultimately user fees aren't fair. They're not, quote, fair. And so here's no, so non-user fees are fair. Here's why they're not fair. Because you and I, we earn X number of dollars, and there's a line in the middle, and this is the line beyond which I'm going to have to pay, and you're not. And you're $2 to the south of the line, and I'm a dollar to the north of the line, and i got to pay three, or $400 a year more than you. That's not fair. Uh, I, I agree. There is going to be no fairness in any system that government touches anywhere. But you can increase the degree of that fairness to the, to the extent that you can hold individuals responsible for their own health care. I mean, what incentive do individuals have to look after themselves if they're not personally responsible for their own health care? Why, why, why is this a government responsibility? And have we not learned from other governments around the world who have tried this and, and started with a single-tier system, ended up with a two-tier system? That didn't even last too long because the, the one tier that still counts on, on taxes eventually just disintegrates. You can't run a system that way. Oh, sure there, you there, can. No, oh, absolutely. Sure well, you can. For you, a limited period of time, you can. No, I think you could run it indefinitely. I think if you did it properly, a two-tiered health care system could run indefinitely. But here's what you would have to do. You would have to, and, 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 and just very broad strokes here, you would require a system wherein. And I don't like the idea of two tiers. That suggests. Well, I don't either. I, I, I use the term multi tier, well, well, multi faceted, like, all I, kinds of choices. I like two pathways rather than two tiers. They're, all, they're both on the same ground. What you have is an individual who says, listen, I need such and such a service, and I can pay a premium for that service, and I'm willing to do so. So they go into pathway A, and they pay the extra money, and they are afforded the extra whatever. All of the money they pay, all of the money they pay, goes into the second pathway to fund better service, more whatever is needed there. Both the pathways use the same equipment. Both the pathways are staffed by the same doctors. who funds the doctors. first pathway if all the money is going to the second pathway? Who funds the first Well, I mean, all, all the, quote, profit from it. Anything that's, you know, obviously we're, the, the premise of this is that these people are willing to pay more than the service is worth. Okay. Or is that a false premise in your opinion? Well, it would be an okay premise if people were all voluntarily going along with that. Well, kind of it, it, but that's classically, but they, they, it was that's a classic volunteer system. You don't want to pay. I want to know from you, do. Jim, is why you think, why if I go to a doctor for a doctor's visit, and the last time I went to a doctor, he told me I, I was okay. I went in there for 10, 15 minutes, thought I had a real bad cold, and yet the taxpayer had to pay for that. Mm -hmm. That would have cost me maybe 15, 20 bucks. Yeah. You're saying that's unfair for me to pay it. For you to pay the fifteen or twenty yeah, bucks? I don't get that. I just don't understand that. Well, I didn't say it's unfair for you to pay it, but well, if, if Jeff goes in there and Jeff makes a dollar less than you do, but that cutoff line in the middle says you pay and he no, doesn't, I don't that's believe unfair. In cutoff lines. That's that's crap anyway. I believe in helping people who can give you a demonstrable uh, case for for the need that they have, and that's where government assistance should be used as a last resort. Um, you know, people go to the dentist. They use, you know, the. God help us if, if the government wants to get into that in a big way, but most people pay for that themselves or through private insurance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, the idea of insurance is to pay for those serious diseases, the catastrophic ones, mm -hmm. the ones that may bankrupt you or, take, or make you lose your home if you were going to put all your assets. Insurance doesn't even cover those in a lot of cases. Uh, well, if that's the case, then that's, that's the end case I'm speaking of, which is the only place government should be involved. Okay, we're going to pause for a moment. When we come back, we're going to see if we can convince Jeff to say something. You're listening to Left, Right, and <laughs> Center on 1290 <laughs> CJBK.
This is Left, Right, and Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. And Jeffrey, I want to come back to you here about uh, about this issue of user fees. And we started, folks, if you're just joining us, talking about the biggest user fee of all that we're being asked to pay now, which is this $15 million of, of our tax dollars, municipal tax dollars, and hospitals requesting. No, no, they only want 15 from the city. Oh, okay. 15 from the city and 105 from the community. I don't call that a user <laughs> fee. Well, I don't know why you're calling it a user fee. A user fee is paid by a user, not a homeowner who never goes to the hospital. Well, the idea that's, is... That's, well, just, okay. that's just not what it is. I'm afraid you can't call that okay. a user I fee. I take that back. It's not a... It's a something. Yeah, one, one. <laughs> <laughs> so but what is it then? It's not a user fee. It's just a, it's just a, a tax. tax. Just a tax. It's All a right. tax, and, and you, I, a, a I don't even trust that it's going to go to where to tell us. It's so how is the well, difference... Well, that's another issue that, that comes back to for me. When I look at the way hospitals are being reorganized, it seems to me that they're becoming more and more corporatized, and I look at things like now they're advertising, we're paying for ads, you know, so money that you give to a fundraiser could well end up doing a commercial for the uh, for the folks rather than providing uh, syringes or whatever. I look at uh, salaries, you know, and now that at least we have disclosure of, of government salaries, but invariably the highest paid government officials are always the hospital administrators. Like these guys are making $400,000, $500,000 a year, getting substantial raises every year Why regardless of what's... Well, I think it's, again, the corporatization that they're mirroring a private sector, and in the private sector, the, the, the standard has become that chief executive officers are making way more money than they used to make. But if you take somebody like just as an example, and I'm not attacking any hospital administrator in the city, my assumption is that they're doing their job. Yeah. You look at somebody like Linda Reed, who's a, uh, by all accounts, and, and anybody who works with her in any capacity, um, she's the chief administrative officer at City Hall, is an absolute crackerjack, and I think she makes about 130 a year. Yeah, so she could triple her salary in a, in a minute by going over and running London Health Sciences Center. And, and Well, should she do that, or should they cut their salary by two-thirds and, <laughs> and get Linda or somebody like Linda over there? Well, it's interesting because, again, that's, that provides sort of a, a mirror into the private sector because, again, if they were working in the private sector, she could probably quadruple or you know, increase her salary that much I, more. But there I is don't. a huge disparity there, and it's unfortunate that that aspect of it is what's creeping into the hospitals along with this corporatization. I don't think there's any way that we as outsiders can determine whether ex-corporate executive is doing their job well or is earning the salary that they're earning. Sure we can, and you've uh, told us many times how we do that. We look at the bottom line. Well, yeah, but it's the shareholders and the people in the company who are, th are the first contact. We're, we're just out there looking at, at a salary and saying, oh, that's 130000 that's obscene, nobody should be getting that. That's irrelevant. It's not, you know, if that person's worth what their salary is, if, if the job they do produces results greater than that, I mean, they're paying for themselves, basically, is what it boils down yeah, to. But, but of course, that does not apply to people who are making money on, on the taxpayer. Well, it depends on the system you live in, though. Like, the other thing is that I look to why is it, and I understand it's the case, that health care costs in the United States per capita are a lot higher than they are in Canada. And then I look at the fact that uh, we... Costs or spending? Let me just finish that that this is uh, the cost per capita for, for health care. The other part of it is that we hear about Canadian doctors and Canadian nurses leaving Canada all the time to go to the States because they've got paid so much more. And I think, well, maybe, you know, is, is there a relationship here? They're getting paid way more to do the same job down there than they are here, and yet people are paying way more to get that job done. Uh, why is that? And is it because they have a more privatized system where you've got hospitals that are in competition and they're advertising like crazy to go to this hospital because it's better and that one's better, and they have a lot effectively uh, health care for poor people is done by the charity hospitals and charity um, clinics and so on but is it the case that competition drives up uh, wages for doctors in certain sectors it might in other areas it would probably bring them down it depends on what the, the you know you, we don't know what the free market rate is either in canada or the states because we really don't have a totally free market in either system um, 
it depends on the degree. Now, what, the other issue about the states, I mean, they have far lower taxes, fewer, less bureaucracy, lower state taxes, municipal taxes, property taxes. Um, people going south also get to keep more of their money, even if they're not... But they spend it when they go to the hospital. Again, the hospitals that they're going to are not funded by government. They're funded well, through health plans that they pay for. Various hospitals in the states, you get, you get a heck of a lot more choices than you do than you get here in oh, terms yeah. of what's available. But I'm saying, is and, it because um, of the choice? Is that why surgeons are able to command a higher salary? Because they can say, well, if you don't like me here, here hospital, I'll just go next door and I can make that's a, right. a lot more money. And as long as the so demand the is there and patients... Upwards, is and that a good thing, though, for the society to, to have doctors being paid a lot more than doctors who will do the same job here for? Well, if they're being paid privately, it doesn't affect society at all. It affects the patient who's paying. If, if, if there are a lot of wealthy well, some patients... Some of them are members of society. Well, well, I mean, <laughs> but it only affects them. They're not taking the money out of society's pocket. Well, it's voluntary, I guess, is what you would argue. Well, presumably, that's what you're talking about, a private, private yeah. hospital, private clinic. But it's clinic. affecting people. Some, but, they're paying for it. Well, yes, they're paying for it, and the good thing is that the taxpayer isn't, and therefore there's more taxes left around for those people who think it should be spent on, on people who can't afford their health care. So either way, it benefits everybody. But at the end of the day, you say you go to a heart transplant down there, and it costs $50,000, where you can do the same heart transplant in Canada for $30,000, and nobody would seriously suggest that Canadian doctors are, are, are deprived or having to get by on sort of you know meager wages or anything. They're well paid. But you take somebody who does the same job for a lot more money in the country next door. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I, I, it seems to me like a bad thing. Um, it, you know, in, in a competitive environment, it would be very good. In a, in a restricted environment, there's good and bad, depending on where you are in that environment. For the doctor going to the States, it's a real good thing. He's making, say, 30000 here and 50000 there. That's, that's good for him. That means you're going to guarantee to have that doctor for a longer period of time. And if he's worth the money, he's earning it. And so... That leaves room for another doctor to fill a space here. But the problem is, for us as Canadians, we lose in terms of the quality that we might w otherwise want to expect. One of the things that I really uh, am interested to find out over the next few years is that we've heard about all these hospital closings that were announced a year or so ago by the Health Restructuring Commission, and they were all deferred. And they said, it's going to happen, but we'll defer them. The, the LPH and uh, St. Thomas site closing has been deferred for five years, but they're all still supposed to happen. And now the feds have kicked a bunch of money back into health care that they took out, a billion dollars or whatever it is. And now we've got the uh, Tories announcing all this extra money. Does that mean some of these hospitals might stay open now, or are they still going to close them? Um, because that, that whole debate sort of went off the front page. Well, as soon as you defer something, it vanishes. I think that they are definitely still going to close some of them if Harris is re-elected. I mean, there's a, there are very strong economic cases for some of them. I think they proposed closing some for which the economic case was not quite as, as compelling. And they also made a very serious error when in some communities, particularly some outlying communities, the hospital performs far more than just a medical role. I think they initially they took no consideration of that reality at all. Um, there's no question, though, that we are over-hospitaled in this country because there was a proliferation of building in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and we didn't always build them where, we need, where they were most effective to be. But if you live next door to that hospital that isn't particularly effective, isn't particularly cost-efficient, you still want that hospital to stay there, and that's the, that's the reality they're going to have to deal with. Do we close all the, all the... I mean, and we have hospitals right across this province that have, that have whole wards that are empty because they can't afford to run them. And the premise of the hospital restructuring, as I understood it, was rather than have two half-full hospitals within spitting distance of each other, uh, with, with full operating costs of both, whether there are patients in them or not, why don't we just shut one of them down and consolidate it, the other one? That's the theory. But well, 
you know, then you've got to deal with the reality that these are people's lives you're tampering with. Well, the other part of it, when the restructuring committee came out, I never really understood what their mandate was because they seemed to come back and say, we're going to save tons of money. That was the, the main message that came back for me. Whereas if, if I had heard them saying, we're not going to take any money out of the system, but we're going to spend it more effectively because we're going to close hospitals in areas where, there's, where they're under service, but we're going to put the money into reducing weights for uh, mammograms or whatever it is, that to me would have given them a lot more credibility. But it always seemed to come back saying, we're going to close a bunch of things and it's going to save us a bunch of money, which made me suspicious. One of the sort of ironies I think about in London, Ontario, is that we're saying, I'm reading in the front page today of the paper, that uh, the proposed construction for our health sciences place is the biggest construction that's happened in 10 years. It's mm -hmm. a huge economic boost for us. And yet, you've got all these small communities that are losing their little hospitals that are the economic engines in many cases mm -hmm. the, for them. So in London, we have kind of a conflict of interest to be looking at this at all because we're the beneficiaries. We're the ones gaining from all these little but hospitals we're also closing. Being, we're also being asked to pay from our own pockets $120 million. I thought it was, you said it was $15 million. <laughs> <laughs> 15, 15 from the ta from the municipal taxes and 105 from quote the community, yeah. which is you and me. So well, this is uh, so what, they're, they're, a lot know, of recent things, I guess. I, absolutely, all of that sort of stuff. No, I have no objection to the second part of that equation, is the, is the voluntary part, mm -hmm. the lotteries and the community and, and that kind of thing. That's that's great. That's that's a wonderful way. But if we're going to do that, shouldn't we have a little more say in the kind of uh, the way the system is run? Why should the province still have the ultimate say in everything? Well, the province shouldn't even go? be in medicine. Let's let's face it. We we should have all hospitals and doctors and everybody should be private businesses operating on their own accords. Uh, forming their own corporations, their own unions, any way they want, and the issue of accessibility to those doctors is a separate issue. That's money. That's that's mm -hmm. that's an insurance function, not a not a healthcare function. Mm -hmm. And in that way, I can see a lot of people perhaps wanting the government to get involved. But what the government continually does is that whenever it's being asked to to help the poor for something, it, if it's a particular service, instead it wants to take over that service because it thinks that it can control it and make it more efficient. Uh, I mean. Socialized medicine has, from the beginning, been a, an un, a system that puts an unlimited demand on limited resources. And that's why our deficits have been constantly climbing and, and our debts going up ever, ever since we started socialized medicine. And, and it's going to be inevitable to continue that way. Um, I certainly support provincial tax cuts, but that puts it back on the municipality. And I think what we're going to see in the future is a heck of a lot more um, important municipal election campaigns and municipal issues to deal with these. Well, that wouldn't bother me one little bit. No, that's a, that's a, that's a better thing. 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel. If you've been enjoying the conversation following our, the, uh, the, the opinions and arguments of our guests, and you'd like to have your two cents worth, that's why we're here. 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel. That's a free call, and we'd love to have you join us on Left, Right, and Center. It's Left, Right, and Center with Schlemmer and Matz. I'm Jim Chapman, Jeffrey Schlemmer, local lawyer, and uh, Robert Metz, uh, local political gadfly. How's that? I don't know about that. What's a gadfly? <laughs> Trust me, folks, he's a political gadfly. <laughs> we're here talking about, today we're talking about hospital funding and funding for health care and so on, and with particular reference to the new... Uh, $15 million that is being asked for from city municipal uh, tax coffers, and $105 million, I understand, that they're going to be looking for from the community at large, and we're just discussing whether that's an appropriate way to be funding this kind of health care. had an interesting call earlier today from a lady who lives out in Granton, and uh, she noted that she uses our hospitals regularly and uh, thought that uh, although it's to her advantage not to be taxed for this, that she thought perhaps there was some inequity there if, London's, if Londoners are in fact going to kick up this money, but she who lives in Granton, who has equal access to the hospital facilities, uh, at least in this point in time, as far as she knows, is not going to be asked to pay anything. Well, she's correct, 
but it's, it, there's a broader issue, and that's that all tax-supported services are based on an inequity to begin with. Um, the inequity being one before the law, before and under the law, that, that some people get benefits at the expense of others without those people really being given a direct choice in whether they have to pay for that or, uh, at, you know, or not. You know, I'm going to stop you there just because this is something, a, a theme to which you have returned many times. And I've had some conversations with people and we've chatted about the show and so on. And, and there was a new point that I guess had never occurred to me with reference to what mm -hmm. you just said. That we are consulted about whether we want to participate in these programs. We are consulted about whether we like these inequities that are built in. Yes, We're, but only collectively, well, not we, as individuals. Sure we are. Should. We are consulted at every election. We are consulted at every election. And if we truly believe that this was inequitable and we didn't want to, we didn't want to, I mean, and I say we, a mass of people decided that we don't like this, this isn't fair, we don't want to do it. What we need to do is to find candidates who reflect that, elect those candidates, and do away with these policies. No, 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 no. What a, what a... People vote for the most strange reasons and vote for mostly emotional reasons, I think. That's just been my experience. Mm -hmm. One guy's in there voting against Harris because he doesn't like this anti-emissions law. Mm -hmm. Another guy's in there voting against Harris because he doesn't like what's going on with education. Another one because of health care. Everybody votes for different reasons, and yet you still get only that one choice, that one party with its, with its package deal that comes no, with all No, 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 I'm going to stop you now because that's not right. You, that's the ultimate product of the process. If all you want to do is de as a citizen is deal with the ultimate product, then yeah, then you have very little choice. What I'm saying is that if, if we really do want to change the structure, you've got to be part of that process. You can't just wait till Election Day and say, I'll vote for the cookie cutter A, cookie cutter B, cookie cutter C. That's what we do do oh, I, now. I agree that with you saying that the political process is where things have to be changed because that's where the mess is all started in the first place. No doubt about that. But it comes back to what you said earlier. But, and, and no, no, you're talking about whether or not each individual is being individually consulted on this specific issue. Uh, you know, they're not. It's well, too late to do the that. The way you do that is in, in giving them a choice in the marketplace. That, you don't do anything politically. But politics takes choices away from individually. people. Individually, Chrysler doesn't ask me what sort of car they should build. They just build a bunch of cars, and if none of them are the ones I like, I haven't stuck with one of them. You know, it's still not being consulted No, no, Chrysler body. takes a risk with its own money, not with yours. And if they build a car that you I don't like, them. <laughs> no, well, if you hand it to them, you've bought something from them, I assume. And it may or may not be what I really wanted, because if they don't build what I want, then I'm stuck with well, what then, they want to give me. Then you go to another manufacturer. You go for the best well, options we'll you have. That, that applies to anything, Jeff. But again, that applies the other part to of it comes too. back to, we talked about polling earlier, and that is, in government, I would suggest that you're not sort of uh, buying a pig and poke where you, you, you vote for them because you like environment or you don't or whatever. The government's constantly, more and more all the time, governing itself by polling. Look at Mike Harris. You know, Mike Harris in the last election was was no friend of health care. You know, he's going to slash a billion dollars out of it. He's come around full circle since then. Now he's putting two billion dollars into it and all this stuff. He always said he polling, would do that. Because he, he says that's well, what people want. Well, people not do not, want not that. that he wants let's, it. let's face it. You give somebody an option of, hey, you want free medicine or do you want to pay for it? If that's if that's the, the way you present the issue, everybody's going to go for the free medicine. Mm -hmm. And they don't care about their neighbor who has to pay for it. You know, we asked earlier in this show, how has knows it, that better than anyone how, else? How he's has, the one who knows he has to find the tax revenue to fund it, and yet he's willing to go out and do that and well, embarrass himself. Well, that to me just proves that Mike Harris is a committed socialist, Jeff. He's a committed socialist <laughs> who wants to give Ontarians the social programs they want. He said that many times. But we asked, uh, the question was asked at the beginning of the program, how did we ever get into a, a mess where 
<laughs> where where now we have to go to the city municipalities to ask for fifteen million dollars to pay for the hospitals it's because we accept this premise in the first place and and i i insist that throwing more money at, at medicine is not going to improve our medical system well i don't understand if that money is being funded through taxation they're putting back some of what they've taken out between them and the feds the feds took out billions and billions back when they were elected they're putting it back well when you say government putting uh, in and taking there. out, remember on the other end of the taking out and putting in is taxpayers' pockets. So usually when you're saying the government's putting into medicine, I look at it as, oh, the government's taking money out of people's pockets. That's what I see. Now, what you're doing and, is you're and, paying through a tax rather than paying through a visa. But be that as it no, may, nobody's paying, talking about providing you're new paying health whether services. You go to the hospital you're not going to get not. your nose job paid for now. You're not going to have your drugs paid for. Nobody's talking about expanding the type of health services that are provided. They're simply saying that they should provide the ones that they're already committed to well, in a timely Way. I say we you should, should expand the health services that are provided, but we do it privately with private money. Uh, you know, the whole idea of helping people who cannot help themselves is a separate issue from how a health care system should operate. To me, if somebody can't afford to pay for, for simple health care, they probably can't afford to pay for their rent. They probably can't afford to pay for a lot of other things. They are, in effect, a welfare situation and not a health care situation or in the other extreme, we, even our education budgets are taking on a lot of the welfare responsibilities, which I think has well, to be separate. And that Otherwise, we don't know what we're spending on Realistically, in Canada, when I think about it, most of the, the money spent on investment in, in research, all the equipment, all that stuff, are all done by private companies. All the pharmaceutical companies are private. We, well, we, true, we, but they still contract out to government. But and, no, but as we have in Canada, we always have this hybrid. It's never all or nothing. It reminds me of how the, uh, the British, for instance, when they first developed warplanes, had a, had a government organization to, to do that. You know, the government was going to design their planes and build them and everything. <laughs> yeah. We have a hybrid, though. You know, the, this stuff's all done by private. Tell them what they designed and built, though. It's garbage. <laughs> that's right. They didn't last very long in the air against the Germans, but that's another story. But uh, anyway, we, we have a hybrid system where, say, I would suggest that a large part of the money that's going into healthcare is going straight into private companies. Um, no doubt. Uh, here's what I, I want to back up a little bit. I'm going to throw one of those these really ridiculous hypotheticals to illustrate a point. What I hope illustrates a point. Bob, what happens in a situation where it is a totally free market in healthcare, and there are X number of people, a fairly large number of people, who are afflicted with a particular problem that say at this point has to be cured with a scalpel, and the doctors who are able to provide this service decide amongst themselves, well, I think we're going to we're going to charge. Ah, what they, we're going to charge $100,000. We're going to keep these people. I'm going to charge them $100,000. Now, the people come along, and the only choice they have for this, for this, uh, this operation in the open marketplace, because the doctors are all saying, that's eh, worth hundred grand to me. It takes me half an hour, but it's hundred grand. That's the price, Charlie. So we've got people in the community, some people who die because they simply can't afford it at all, some people who have got lots of money, it's not a problem, and many people who can pay for it, but they have to mortgage their homes or perhaps sell their homes or, you know, cash their RSPs or whatever. They're going to get the operation, they're going to stay alive, but basically they're being bankrupted. How does that scenario benefit the community? I mean, is, is that a reasonable... It's, no, it's free it's enterprise. No, well, not the way you describe it. You describe it as though all the doctors are going to collude together and say that we're all going to charge X dollars. Well, but, 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 but why wouldn't they? Why, and you said before when because, we talked about Archer Daniels Millie... Why does, why does a guy charge less for his widget than the guy across the street? Because he wants to get the customers. Well, why should, and if, well, and if you're charging more than the market can bear, you're, get, you're getting no customers. But if there's only a limited number of people who can do the job anyway... Well, then, then you got a problem either way. Then, then definitely the people with the money are first in line on, under either system, socialized health care or private. Uh, I mean, say say there's only one doctor in the world who's discovered a new technique, and he's the only one. I mean, he's only got eight hours a day. 
He's only got a lifespan of X number of years. He has limited resources himself, and so it's up to him who he sells those resources to and for what price. Because if he's the only guy that can do it, absolutely, he's going to charge an exorbitant price, and the people who can't afford it won't get that health care. Well, okay, but here's an example in the real world where, we, where that doesn't apply, I don't think. You've got, and Jeff talked about, one of you guys talked about the automobile industry. In the automobile industry today, the big money is being made by sport utility vehicles. In some cases, the companies are making ten to fifteen to $20,000 per unit on these vehicles, as opposed to a few hundred dollars for their entry-level models. Now, the problem here with, with what you're telling me, Bob, is... That means they haven't saturated the market yet with these things, and there's still a, a demand that far exceeds So we supply. have to wait to saturation before some kind of, uh, some kind of reason breaks in? With air, no, well, no, before prices break down. It's like VCRs. When the first VCRs came out, the first one I bought was an old beta machine that could hardly do anything, and it cost $1,300 yeah. on sale yeah. at one of these price clearance places, right? And today, you buy a machine that can do the same things for like $99 to yeah. 150 bucks yeah. because the, the market was saturated, the technology expanded, just the same with yeah, but technology the, the point I was going to make, though, the, point, the point where I was going with this was, you talked about with the doctors that it, no problem because competition will come into the field. Somebody come along and do it cheaper. Well, look at the sport utilities. Yeah, yeah there's a little price variance in them, but basically nobody's killing anybody else on price because nobody owns the marketplace. They're all jacking the prices just as high as they possibly can, and people are paying the price. Fine. So wh what's the difference between that and the, and the scenario I painted with the well, docs? I'm still you saying... Said, you said uh, it wouldn't happen because other docs come along and undercut them. Nobody would undercut them as long as the money was there. No, the same principle applies. If you've only got two or three doctors who can do a do a particular thing and the demand on them is 100,000 people, well, they're going to have to pick the top, you know, X percent of those so people. The, so, so, so the... So the uh, okay, all right. Well, you know, the doctor has to be paid for his time. You can't say to him... No, we know you you would charge thirty thousand dollars for this operation, but we are, we're only going to pay you five. Okay, hypothetical you again. Know? Then there's no shortage of the, any doctor could do this thing, but they all say, "Hey, why should I do it cheaper? I can get I can get a hundred thousand dollars for it. Why should I do it?" Well, it's, if they can get it, then they can get it. But that's that's so unrealistic and high it? in the sky. Absolutely, why? because you can't charge more than the market can bear. Look, if I have a disease that costs a hundred thousand dollars to fix, I'm going to die. Same as simple as that, because I haven't got a hundred grand. Okay, and to suggest that even in that case I have a right to make you pay for it because you might happen to have a hundred grand is is still not morally correct your my my problems with my health care is not your problems you got your own problems mm -hmm. you're saving for your own future you're, you want to retire you want to have a good life the things I do with my life maybe my health care is, is going down because of my lifestyle maybe you know there's a lot of choice factors in that and it, it's my responsibility to look after that not yours Six four three twelve ninety is the telephone number. Star twelve ninety on the Cantel. It's left, right, and center with Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz, and Jim Chapman. And we're back, and you're always welcome to join us. This is left, right, and center with Schlemmer and Metz on twelve ninety CJBK. I should just tell you very quickly. Coming up tomorrow on the program, a couple of interesting things for you. We're going to get some grammar lessons. All right. I know mine's not the best on the air, and people have told me about that. So we thought it's time to get an expert on. We're going to talk a little bit about grammar, and it can be kind of fun too. And. And we're also going to take a look at education and recruitment in our universities versus U.S. schools. They're scooping some of our best and brightest. We went through a period where they did that in the past, and then it kind of faded. They're back actively looking for Canadian students again. So we'll take a look at both of those issues and lots more on tomorrow's Talk of the Town. It's left, right, and center, though. Okay, back to... Uh, Jim, before we continue, yes. just an even worse-case scenario than the one we just discussed. Suppose I have a disease that's, that's really serious, and it costs $100,000 okay. for an operation, mm -hmm. and... What if there's no doctor? Mm -hmm. 
I got my money, but there ain't no doctor. Mm -hmm. That's where we're heading with socialized medicine. We can have all the money we want, but the doctors won't be here in, in the quantities mm -hmm. that we want. And the doctors are telling us that, too. There's and that's, an imminent crisis. And that's, what, that's what's happening. And it's, an, it's another inevitability. I mean, you just look Let at wherever... Let me to so differ from it. Actually, I was, sure. I was reading a, an article that was actually on the front page of the Financial Post a month or so ago, and they were talking about the brain gain. And they were describing uh, uh, highly educated uh, people coming into Canada, and they were saying that, uh, that the, this whole idea that uh, you, know, so you, can, you can ascribe whatever is your pet cause of the week to it. You can say taxes are too high, so everybody is leaving, or whatever the problem they say is. That in reality, the fact is that about as many people, skilled people, are coming into Canada all the time as are leaving. There yeah, hasn't been not, a substantial change in the last doctors. 20 years. Go talk to the people at the Academy oh, again, of Medicine. But that, what that comes back to, again, are, are not in government One of them areas. is that government controls what doctors make, for starters. Government controls how much money goes into research. Government dramatically underfunds research and has been making huge cuts to that stuff over the last number of years. So you say the areas that we lose are the ones the government choo chooses to have us lose. Um, it's like the Avro Arrow is an example. For instance, where all the scientists uh, took off and, uh, and started the mm -hmm. space program in the United States. Um, that those are the kinds of areas that are artificial, you know, uh, from from uh, where we are as a whole. So it may be the case that, for instance, with doctors, because again their salaries are set at a particular level that they're in a position where some of them are moving. On the other hand, doctors are coming into Canada all the time. We've got tons of doctors well, who come into Canada who aren't allowed to practice, as you may know as well. But well, we, don't, we don't want them practicing if they're not up to our standards. That's not why they're not allowed to practice. And I can, I can talk about law much better than I can talk about uh, medicine, but in law, for instance, we make it extremely difficult for the most highly skilled lawyers there are from England, from, from other Commonwealth countries to practice in Ontario, just because we don't like other competition. Right. And that's the same phenomenon. Is that, is that, is that a legitimate thing, or would you, you know, I, I think that's obscene. I think people should be allowed to free trade their labor. Well, again, it's got nothing to do, though, with with these uh, if they're qualified things that we say are happening, like taxes and those kinds of things. I think it's a bad I'm thing. Sure it but does. you know what I hear from, not from every doctor, certainly, because I haven't talked to every one of them, but I do hear from doctors that their complaint with the government is far less about their, about their pay scale than about the regulation and the red tape and all the crap all of that goes along with being a doctor in Ontario today. I mean, certainly there are some of them who go south because they're going to make a lot more money, but there's a, there's a lot of them that go south because it's just a lot easier to do the job. The government isn't sticking their nose into mm -hmm. every every single facet. I mean, there are 16,000 right. reports, you know. Oh, you, can, you can be well, your own businessman. No you can run your practice the way you want, you know. And, and I'll tell you, the Canadians that I know who have gone south for everything from dental care to health care report back to me that it's that they were shocked at how low the prices were. Mm -hmm. So where is all this, you know, it costs more in the States? I don't know. That's not what I've heard. Now, maybe a certain operation. You know, we always pick these, these, these operations like triple bypass and heart transplants, which aren't going to affect the majority of medical spending in this country. This is the, the tip of the iceberg at the top end, and these are not the things that most people are ever going to have to experience in their lives, you know, as a percentage of the of the total population. I've never seen those. So, any, either you guys ever seen those figures as to what 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 diseases take how much money? Um, I understand that the largest that one third of of healthcare spending in Canada is caused by diabetes. Okay. No and that if we lick that disease, we could reduce our health care spending by one-third overnight. Well, Dr. Gabe keeps telling us and, that there are effective treatments for it. And uh, they're getting, oh, there's, it's getting better all the time. And I presume that a lot of the spending would be because it is a constant treatment, that it's not something where you can treat it and cure it. And, cure and it. also because a lot of people get late-onset diabetes and we're getting a demographic of older mm -hmm. folks, you know, and getting that. You, you hear the ads, you know, you're, you're 45 years old, better watch out. You're mm -hmm. going to... No. 
you're going to get diabetes. One of the things, just to come back to you, talked about the government bureaucracy and, and all that stuff, and of course I rail against that all the time because I deal with it all the time, and it's getting a lot worse, and I don't know where it's going to be how 10 years be, from how now. How can it be getting worse with a government that keeps telling us they're cutting red tape? How can that well, be? Uh, with this government, I think the main reason is that they, they don't trust anybody. They're, they're very paranoid, and so what they require is that every time you as a civil servant do anything, you have to report back to them that you did it or you didn't do it. And then what it does is it builds these huge paper files so that you can prove no matter what happened that it wasn't your fault. I remember, uh, I can't remember who it was. It might have been uh, Peters, the guy who did the... Peter Principal, anyway, talking about uh, paperwork and how, as far as he was concerned, it was a waste of time because he says, if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't need to keep track of it. If you are doing something wrong, the fact you papered the file shouldn't help you. It shouldn't make any difference. But but certainly that's happened dramatically. Although it raises another question that I, that I come back to a little bit, and that is that, ostensibly, I presume, one of the reasons why we've had an evolution of health care to a provincial and, a, to some extent, a federal level is to try and have standards that are fairly common. You, so you can expect if you go into a hospital in Huntsville, you're going to get relatively similar care to what you would in London or whatever. And I, and I fear that we're sort of heading away from that somewhat. And in London, we're, we're very insulated because we're the regional center for all of southern Ontario. We've been the beneficiary of all the centralization. But I, I remember the days when, for instance, there used to be a psych hospital in Godridge. There used to be one in Woodstock. Mm -hmm. And I think about people who have... Uh, relatives live, uh, living in any of those institutions and how much farther they have to travel now than they did. Uh, again, we don't have to travel because we're here. It's, we're it. But for everybody else in Ontario, I would suggest that uh, things are becoming a lot less accessible. And when they lose their little uh, general hospital or whatever and have to travel an extra X number of minutes to, uh, to the big regional center, that is a decline. And, and I worry about not only the accessibility of the health care, but also getting getting the same quality of health care. Now, having said that, I recognize that Harris has adopted an idea that I can't remember if the Liberals or the NDP suggested it, which was to give a lot more incentives for doc new doctors to be going out into the sticks mm -hmm. and practice there. So, so that's to their credit that they've done that. But but I worry about those standards. And I, I, as I mentioned earlier, that it, it seems to me that a uh, hundred years ago, hospitals were funded by municipalities. There would be a general municipal mm -hmm. hospital and charities. You would have Sisters of St. Joseph's or whoever. Mm -hmm. And somehow over the years, there's been this evolution away from that model of delivery to a centralized government funded sure. model. As, as government took over, used all of their voluntary dollars and turned it into taxation. There weren't any voluntary dollars left. I mean, that, that's all inevitable. It's just, you, the, you can't control spending if you haven't got a choice. If, if, if your neighbor gets to charge all his medical bills to you, what control do you have, really? You know, there's no way to have control to the spending. <laughs> Yeah. Move away from that neighbor. And that's what some people are doing. <laughs> I mean, you know, I was at an all-candidates debate last night in, in Park Hill, and it was amazing. It was There were some very disgruntled taxpayers there who were concerned about the same thing. About the, There were just horror stories of what some of these people are paying in business taxes, property taxes, and the inequities between... Uh, what a bank pays and what a what a local variety store pays. Well, who are they complaining to, though? Because none of the three none of the three parties are proposing to change anything that's going to change any of that. Well, they were mostly complaining towards the PCs because they blame them for downloading. But I mean, that's the same thing that happened under under Ray. Ray was already starting the downloading mm -hmm. process, and it was being started even before that. This is not a uh, a principal thing on the part of any party. This is a pragmatic reaction to economic reality. That, you, that this is how just to get the responsibility out of their hands. They don't, you know, shove it over there. Let those people worry about it. And uh, in one way, I can't blame the government for taking that stance because they've been assigned with an impossible task, and that is to continue to provide what Canadians are expecting at a cost that Canadians can afford. But you can't do it through a, through a coercive system. Won't work.
You know, we 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 invented the you know the Bible was created thousands of years ago to tell us that thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. There are reasons that these moral principles work, or and and or create bad effects when we don't follow them. But the politicians listening to say, saying that say, Bob, you're being ridiculous. We're not stealing anything. People voluntarily give us their taxes. Well, when you that well, yeah, voluntary taxes. Well, you give you pay them every year, uh, don't you? Well, not voluntarily. Sure, you do. No way. Absolutely, you do. You don't. You have a choice. You don't want to pay taxes in Canada. You can go somewhere or, else. Or go somewhere else. That's well, right, what's where I can that? pay somebody else's that's taxes. That's your. That's your free choice, isn't well, it? Well, that's not free choice. That's not the, the definition of free choice. Or, you know, is well, free choice the 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 the, 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 tax? the the right to do whatever you want wherever you are? I mean, is that no, what it's I never all about? Said that. As long as you don't violate anyone else's rights, you can't be on somebody else's property. I can't demand so you, that a so doctor you, serve so me. So you for should be able free. to live in the middle of our society and 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 enjoy all the benefits of this society, but say, but yeah, I don't want to pay taxes. No, I, I pay for the benefits that I receive, and you pay for the benefits that you receive, and that way we can each be responsible for our own situation in society. To me, the greatest moral obligation a citizen in society has is not to make himself dependent on the rest of society. I, I can't see a greater obligation. <laughs> we've, we've talked about this last time. Don't get me started on this stuff. But one of the things that, that I was interested in uh, watching Studio 2 last night talk about the healthcare thing, and that is how uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of collective memory we have as a province in the sense that uh, suddenly now we've got all this new money going into healthcare and Mike Harris has become the biggest friend of healthcare because that was one of the two big issues pulled around. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how how our memory is and how, and what trust factor there is that he's recently you know become the big fan of health care but again we've got all these deferred decisions out there all these deferred cuts sitting around out there and will people sort of remember that and think yeah he hasn't said he isn't going to do those things you know can we really trust that uh, if he's elected he's going to come through with this the other part of that is that with the aggressive tax cuts that he's that he's talked about doing as somebody pointed out as long as we continue to have a superheated economy we can afford that but if history teaches us anything we're going to have a downfall so we'll see, uh, what, if what, that what, happens, will his promises all have to fall by the wayside? And will he give up his tax cut promises, or will he give up his promises to fund health care? And uh, Mike, being the tax fighter that he is, I'm sure will uh, give up the health care before he'll give up tax cuts. Uh, so people have to think about that and think, you know, what I'm hearing right now, if I filter that through the, the lessons of the last four years and the fact that there's going to be a recession coming in the next term, probably at some point, uh, what's going to happen to our hospitals? But that's predicated on the assumption that, that the Tories ultimately don't care about the people of Ontario. It's predicated on the assumption that the Tories' economic policies absolutely will not work. No, not at all. No, I, I'm sure they care in their own special way. But the question is, do they think health care is a high priority? Now, yeah, they may well, be more sensitive than sure well, suddenly now they do because no, the I think, has told them no, that. No, my, my four years ago, no, that was not there's a an priority. Coming, four why. years ago, the priority was to take a billion dollars savings no, out know. of health care. No, my contention would be, and I'm not, I'm not defending them, but my contention would be that the intention was, and this is what they said, to put this province on a financially sound basis so we could afford the things that we want. That's right. They care in that way. Well, my belief is that... that uh, and, and I've seen no evidence contrary, for the most part, that that's exactly what his government has tried to do. Maybe they haven't done it very well. I won't argue that with you. They haven't been very efficient. They made a lot of mistakes. But I see no reason now, as we look at, as the election comes forward, I don't see any reason why Ontarians should look at that and say, you know, I think these guys are just, all they care about is tax reduction, and ultimately all tax reduction means to me is fewer social services. The theory behind what they're doing is that tax reductions will lead to more, to more revenues, more ability to provide those social services, but to do them in a, a quote, 
responsible manner. Well, that's what I mean, is that they try and justify it saying that by uh, by aggressively cutting taxes and government services, this will somehow prevent us from ever having another recession. That's nonsense. Even Mark Mullen, the guy who, who invented or designed the, uh, is an economist at the University of Toronto, uh, designed the common sense revolutions around the idea that tax cuts would stimulate the economy, himself disavowed the, uh, the revolution when he said, what I said was that tax cuts would stimulate the economy as provided you didn't cut government spending. But if you cut government spending to offset the tax cut, it's a, it's a zero-sum game. You don't end up ahead of the game. Only if you cut the government spending without creating choices to replace it. You know, that was the Proposition 13 disaster. They cut property taxes. in California. Yeah, but did not allow um, taxpayers to, to look to other sources for the services that the municipalities had been providing. And it did become a disaster. And then it did become a disaster. Well, I don't believe our program's been a disaster today. I think it's been a lot of fun for me and certainly for my guests, and I hope you've enjoyed it at home, too. Thanks, guys. We'll see you a week from today.